Welcome from Iractive. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at the NIS 2 directive, the new cybersecurity law that was just agreed between the EU legislators. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website Euractive.com. This is Euractive's Tech Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by Bart Grothaus, the Euro- European Parliament's Rapporteur for the NIS 2 Directive. Hello, Bart. Good morning, Luca. So you have uh, finished the trilogue just a few hours ago and uh, you have reached a political agreement. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, thank you very much. It was a great deal. We struck at around one for Europe's new cybersecurity legislation. And I think with over 100,000 new vital entities in Europe that are starting to get grip on their security. And with that, Europe starts to get grip on its security and its information exchange with others in, in Europe and outside. I'm very pleased that we struck a deal tonight. And I'm an early riser, so I'm already in the car doing that new stuff. So um, after the new new adventures that that, that see us, but let's first close the deal in, uh, and, and make it through Parliament uh, in the next couple of uh, weeks and months. Great. Um, So you were already mentioning thousands of new entities under the scope. Can you give us a sense of uh, where the agreement landed uh, in terms of scope? Uh, We know there was some controversy about uh, public entities uh, being included. Well, what is extremely important for the Parliament is that we not not just ask of businesses to do more on cybersecurity and invest in it and make it chefsache and make the CEO liable when he doesn't. And it's very important that we do so because we have a ransomware pandemic, we have uh, the war in Ukraine, we have so much new threats coming at us. And, and then it's very important that you don't just look at businesses, but also look at governments itself. It's, it's for me, it's a no, it was a no-brainer that public administration bodies would be out of scope. So we, we managed to get them inside of scope and I'm very proud that we did. And with that um, achievement, um, it's very important to realize that it's not just about the scope, it's also about the ecosystem behind. It's an ecosystem where we share information with each other. And we don't just share information reactively, like after an incident occurred, we also share information proactively. And why do we do that? Because we want a proactive cyber stance, a new phase in Europe's cybersecurity history. It means that we want to thwart attacks before they occur. We want to prevent them. We want active incident response, active cyber response to all the threats that we, we see. And it's a new phase that Europe is entering. I'm very pleased to, uh, to announce that. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, can, can you tell us about the regional uh, level of the administration? Because uh, that was quite a controversial point for some countries like Germany. Yeah, so what we did is uh, we made sure that for some countries, regional level is very different. If you're in Jutland or somewhere in the northern parts of Scandinavia, very different than the regional level, for example, in Bavaria or the Netherlands where I'm from. Some regional levels here might constitute millions of inhabitants and some uh, regional levels might constitute not not more than a dozen. So it needs to be risk-based and we have given the member states some leeway here to decide what parts of the regional government do they think is uh, appropriate to be in scope or not. So it's very important that we uh, respect both um, the, 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 let's say, the member states 
and their freedom of movement, but also the wish of Parliament to include as much as we can in scope to keep our citizens safe. What about the distinction between essential and uh, important entities? Uh, where did you land there? Well, there's two sorts of entities, and the, the difference is not that, that, that big. I mean, you have... Um, the only difference, real difference is that we have um, ex post and ex ante uh, 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 audits. It means that you get audited whether you did a good job on, on, on the new cybersecurity measures. So the, 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 and the other thing that we decided on is that the fines will be different, right? There will be different fines if you do not adhere to the new cybersecurity measures that Europe asks then you will get a fine and it will be personally liable for the CEO and it will be different for important and different for essential entities. It, for the first, it's it's 1.4% of the yearly turnover and 7 million on the max. Um, and, and the other is 2% and 10 million. And why, why do we create these fines? Because we've spoken to, I've spoken to many ransomware negotiators and when they negotiate with Russian criminal gangs, I, I asked them to, to, uh, to ask these Russians, how, how much do you ask of a victim? And they said between 1.4 and between 2%. And so that's very, very important figure for me as a legislator because it, it tells the new, the new important and essential entities, like, do you want to give the 1.4% of your yearly turnover to ransomware gangs? Do you want to invest it in a fine? No, then invested in cybersecurity. It's also a, a way of telling this, this legislation has teeth. It can actually enforce uh, something, and it's very good that we have it now. So it's also symbolic uh, between 1.4 and 2% of your yearly turnover to make sure that businesses and uh, everyone ad ad adheres to this new piece of legislation, which is so important for Europe. Great. You actually anticipated one of my questions. Um, uh, now, coming to the exclusion clause, uh, which was also quite an important point for the Council, uh, what was the agreement there? Well, what is important for the council, and uh, we've already agreed somewhat to that uh, previously and in other pieces of legislation, it's very, very normal in, in Brussels to do so, to exclude um, businesses and businesses and entities if they're in national defense, for example, of, or, have extreme, or they are in, 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 in national security, let's say. And it, it also entails parliaments uh, because of legislative reasons. And what we did is we made sure that if you have let's say a large take a predominantly if your if your entire business is, is dedicated to national security you, you can be out of scope because of the sensitivity but it's not if you are a business and you have a piece of that business that does something for national security or public security or or, or parliament then then that, that you're excluded so we found we struck a good balance there a good deal it's not by default that you're excluded from the scope, it's by default that you're included and you have to argue why you're out. So it's very important for Parliament and for the European citizens to see there's no loopholes here. We have to have as much as entities inside of the scope adhering to the new security principles as possible. And that's what we achieved this night. A key point for businesses is the cybersecurity certification. Yes. Uh, what was the agreement that you reached there? Well, first of all, um, we thought that um, it was very important to have impact assessments before you do some, some, that you consult everyone in the field before you implement it. That is very, very well considered. We see the risk there as inserting political, geopolitical ambitions inside some technical arrangements 
And uh, if you look at how the European cloud security um, uh, certification is going right now, it's, it's becoming more and more politicized. So what I've tried to do is make sure that there's no, um, that, that there is political scrutiny, that we actually have political scrutiny on anything that we achieve there. Of course, it's a technical highly technical exercise, but uh, and the commission can do so, but only through a delegated act. So parliament has its say on this. And um, whereas there's other, other articles that we give um, the commission the, 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 the leeway to, to, to forge some implementing acts. But on this one, we really wanted to be uh, sure that we have some democratic scrutiny on any certification that's there. But the possibility will be there for European uh, certification schemes, which is very important for the internal market and uh, for some of the regulation of the spheres that haven't been regulated yet, like 6G or 5G. And it's very important that we have that. I'm very pleased to have that article on board. Right. And in terms of uh, reporting obligations and timeline, I remember last time we spoke, you you were very attached to this uh, sort of uh, differentiated reporting um, uh, timeline. Yes. Um, did, you, did you manage to get this through? Well, it is important. I was director for cybersecurity at the Dutch Ministry of Defense. And at that time, I found it very difficult to report anything of value within 24 hours after you say something might be wrong. And that's, that is what the commission proposal uh, initiated the, uh, initially said. And I said, well, through practice, we have to make sure there's a distinction that just like in GDPR, it will take you about 72 hours to say what kind of data has been stolen, has data been altered on our machines, the, the integrity and confidentiality of our systems, was it breached and on what machines exactly. It's very hard to say uh, what the threat exactly is. And what I try to do is uh, make sure that we have the best of both worlds. So within 24 hours, entities need to report that they have been attacked. And within those 24 hours, and you can do it as early as you want, uh, but it's a light warning. It's an early warning to say, help me, to say, we need the CSER to assist me. I am, I am, I am hit and please establish a, a, a helpline. Then you have 72 hours to establish uh, more. At least you can, you, can, you can share as much as you want earlier, but in the, after 72 hours, you have to make sure that you hand over a report with indicators of compromise, with what did the attack constitute, how can it help others, et cetera, et cetera. So that is an um, obligation that we said in that article, that look at. What about the single point of entry, which I believe was also another point of contention with the council? What did you, what did you agree there? Well, that's a very, very good question, and you're well informed, uh, Luca, like your active always is. But this is, um, for us, very important. So a single point of entry would, would prohibit any member state to not make a big patchwork, a rickety patch, patchwork of all institutions handling with cybersecurity, having all sorts of incident notification schemes. We want it to be simple, very, very simple. We struck a deal to say we want extremely simplified notification schemes and not just for this one also for gdpr for the critical entities and what we want what we said is it's not just about notifications it's also about how you transfer for example uh, an image of a surfer or a transfer um, uh, other information cybersecurity information you have to streamline it in the interface that you have with the member state that you have and make sure that it's there 
but some countries still have problems with 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 the, because they have several uh, entities dealing with it. And we said to Parliament, we struck a deal to say it's ex extremely simple, um, simplified procedures for 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 entities, so that they know where they have to report to that it's being. Uh, taken on board very soon, and that is very simple to do so with a nice interface with good technology supporting that. Because that is this this age will require that. If you don't have good technology that looks good, that is easy to 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 connect with you with your with your entity, then it's very very hard to do business. And that's what we asked, and that's what we struck a deal on. Staying with something that is very dear to the member states, uh, can you tell us uh, what is the agreement on the peer review mechanism? Well, on peer reviews, it's important to, to, to recollect why the NIS2 is there, because the NIS1 wasn't implemented that well. It was implemented very differently among member states. And the lessons learned weren't adapted in all member states. And what we try to do is make sure that we do have a form of peer reviews, but not just that, also self-assessments this time, to make sure that the best lessons, the best lessons learned are there and being adopted. So the cooperation group will establish a methodology there that everyone can adhere to, that everyone can use. And it's being encouraged to the maximum extent possible to make sure that, um, that member states feel, uh, feel encouraged and that it has added value for member states to say, okay, this is, uh, this is something other member states have done. We can learn from that and we, we put it in place to make sure that the NIS2 has a better implementation than the NIS1, which was already a good legisl legislation, but we're trying to make it even better and make sure that the implementation and execution is there. Yeah, speaking of uh, streamlined uh, uh, implementation, what about the cyclone uh, cooperation mechanism uh, and also this uh, part on active cyber protection? Well, let me start with the last part, because that is the most important part, I believe, in this piece of legislation. If you look at the mindset, we're entering a new phase. What we previously did is saying whether we have an incident, we start sharing information, right? It's a very reactive way of responding to threats. But you could also say we need a more active response. And that's what I tried to insert in this negotiation, and I succeeded. We expect every member state to formulate a strategy, an active cyber response, not just to look at we have an incident and you have to share information. No, the member states also have to do something with that, see if they can force and stop new attacks from happening. Can they do something with DNS, for example, might be an option. Can they prevent it by preventing, by putting something out uh, um, and, and helping other entities? It's about getting before the power curve and make sure that you, you stop stuff from happening and not just reactively responding to these threats. We are being attacked on an industrial scale and our response <clears throat> needs to be industrial as well. And that's what I try to envisage on this, uh, on this point. So Cyclone is when, when there's a huge incident in the European Union, we want to make sure that the sea certs and that the member states cooperate. And what is important here that the European Commission is also at the table, and they are. And we made sure that they are, because when there's large-scale incident, it will affect the internal market. It will affect some of the things that the European Commission, according to the treaties and according to all the legislation that we have, the tasks that they have, and have a task and a, and a role to fulfill. And it's not because they have to be on the table, it's because they have added a surplus value. And if they have surplus value, it's better for European citizens. So the European Commission is there, 
when it's relevant and the, the member states will solve large scale, scale prices as well. And I'm very pl pleased to see that for the first time now we have a legal basis and we have a legal basis for other things as well that were, wasn't there. Can you imagine, Luca, there wasn't a legal provision to scan entities to see whether they needed to patch uh, outdated software, for example, because that's the way that hackers attack you, right? You have outdated software on the edge of your network, hackers scan that, and then they exploit it. Well, what you do as a government, of course, is also scan it and say, like, you're an essential entity, you need to patch this. That wasn't, that wasn't legally sound until now, but now we've solved that. It's very important that it's there, and I'm very proud of this legislation to help the cybersecurity community functioning again. Can you give us more details on the uh, requirements for firms uh, that will follow from this directive? For businesses in Europe, it's very important to realize that if you're in the category of the annex, that means that if you're an important or essential entity, uh, and, and it means you, you have an essential service that you serve to the people of Europe, and you, you have been, you're over 250 people, your, your turnovers are more than 10 million, and you provide essential services, then there's the chance that member states will say you're an essential and important category. That will require of you as, as a company to adhere to cybersecurity standards that the European Union will say this is important. And, and please do so because it's not just good for your business, it's also good for your customers. It's good for Europe as a whole because we're being attacked on an industrial scale. And let me just also say, well, we already have that. Well, now it's different. It's, I mean, this, is, um, this, this, this legislation has teeth. If you don't adhere, and you do repeatedly don't adhere to the new cybersecurity uh, measures that we uh, expect you to take, there will be consequences. And this is different from all the other legislative pieces of, that we had before. And I'm very glad that we have it because now we know that businesses will come into this ecosystem. And last thing I'd like to say is it, it's not just punitive that I say, please adhere to that. It's also in your own interest because we try to set up in this legislation an ecosystem that works for you. Like I just said, we want an active cyber uh, uh, defense uh, mechanism. We want to make sure that the governments help you, that they assist you. If you have a problem, that they're... That they're actually come in and save you and help you not not everything i mean there's still companies there but governments will be providing you more service orientated uh, service than they did before and they, they are more operational more actionable than ever that's what i try to make sure this legislation also has so for businesses it's a, it's a two-way side please invest in cybersecurity as governments will invest in helping you when there's something wrong but also before that before that and you might not even notice it but Governments will also be doing something for you there. So what else can be done in terms of uh, strengthening Europe's cybersecurity? Well, that's a good question because we haven't solved everything. Um, let me name a couple, just one very important one. I think if you look at supply chain security, right, that is a, a, a huge threat. If you look at all the threat landscape reports that are out there from ENISA, they would say um, supply chain security, like a hack into the software modules that you use, for example, is, is one of the major threats that we face. And now the, the question is, what are trusted vendors? How do, what do they look like? And in 5G, um, soft law is there, soft power is there, a 5G toolbox. And it's very good, it's very well executed. But what you see, and the European Court of Auditors also said this, is uh, not, you don't see harmonization there. It doesn't really 
uh, move member states to say, okay, we all adhere to the same principles here. Uh, we still see some of these, uh, let's say Chinese vendors in the core of some of the 5G networks across Europe. And that is very weird. And what the European Court of Auditors has said, and, and I think that I fully agree with that, and I don't think so, I, I want to express my, my feelings there, and I will be pushing for it, that we need hard legislation. On which parts do we need? Can we can we accept uh, uh, risky vendors? And which part of the, the networks can we not accept it? And I think hard legislation is now at its place, and we need to um, start pushing for that. We don't have it yet, there yet. What the NIS2 has is a, is, a, is a review, a security review, just like in the 5G toolbox. Um, and the coordination group can, uh, can decide on that. It's very important that it's there. Um, if you have a question on a certain piece of, of, of software, and, I, and, and if you read the papers, every week there's a new question out there. There's a new piece of software is being questioned. And that's why we need legislation and not just incident incidentally uh, a peer re or a review, a security review of a certain product. So I think that's the next step to take, uh, to, to name just one, uh, Luca. And uh, when can we expect this um, directive to enter into application? What did you agree on the uh, transposition deadline? Well, that's, a, that, that's always uh, kept for last. So we struck a deal at one at night and that was one of the last things, of course, to agree on. And what we did is 21 months because we asked 18 months, which is light speed in Brussels. It's the transposition date that 18 months after uh, agreeing on it that you have to uh, have national legislation. The council asked 24 months and we tried to be in the middle. And that was a very good solution, I think. We asked quite a lot of the member states to add uh, stuff there. It's, we asked research uh, institutions and uh, RTOs and, and certain academic institutions that have um, extremely valuable information and intellectual property rights on 5G, 6G, on batteries, on nuclear, what you have on strategic, um, um, strategic research, but also public administration bodies to be in scope. Uh, we asked for new strategies on a more active posture. So, okay, I said 24 hours is very important because of the war in Ukraine, because of the the, the, the ransomware pandemic and you know me i'm very eager to have it as soon as possible but we should also give some leeway to the to the to the um to the member states to make sure they have the time to implement this as good as they can so it's a good balance yeah indeed and the deadline is usually uh something the member states uh, look at uh, as a priority and uh, the the meps get in exchange more ambitious parts of the text um, <laughs> but I have to ask you uh, when can we expect a NIS 3? <laughs> That's a good good question um, listen there's always an evaluation there and there should always be an evaluation of legislation within three or four years so you can expect an evaluation and there will always be points there that the current situation then in the future will, will, will ask from from us in the future, but um, we don't know yet, but it will be there uh, because there's always new insights, new things, new ambitions and uh, new lessons learned that we have to adhere to and adapt in the legislation. But this was the best that we can do now. And let me just say, this is the best piece of legislation this continent has ever seen thus far on cybersecurity. So I'm very proud of that at this time. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on tech politics and policy from Europe and beyond. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening.